and that's the one thing I will say that is hard. If you want to be traveling full time and you don't like those regular business hours, that could limit your ability to grow your business to take on the larger projects because higher needs clients with higher budgets want you to be available. Hey, this is Heath Patchett and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 181. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs, and on today's episode, I'm interviewing Amber from Road Warrior Creative. Eight weeks after the birth of her daughter, Amber went back to her full-time job and spent her work days away from her baby, something that for me right now, as Ellie is four months old, is very hard to think about just being away from her every single day. And shortly after that, her husband, Chris, was offered an executive chef position at a new restaurant, which meant working from 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. most days. And as you can expect with a new baby, this was really tough. They wanted to spend time with their family. So because of this, Amber quit her job to give freelance web development a chance, a way for her to be able to create her own business and stay at home with their family. And in this episode, we dive into where that one decision has taken her family. She has now grown from a freelance WordPress developer to running a full-fledged marketing agency offering services like website development, branding, SEO design, and much more. And now with multiple employees, Chris was even able to quit his job and come on as the COO managing business operations. They're also able to take off several months out of the summer each year and travel around the country in their RV. One of my favorite parts of this interview is when Amber shares how she started her freelance work without any prior business experience. For so many people, including myself, when I first started freelancing in video, it's just something we jump into as a way to make money on the road, and especially when we have no other entrepreneurial experience. Okay, I will start like a freelance business. In this episode, Amber covers a lot of the things that seem really daunting when you're first starting out, such as how to find clients, how to build clients, and we break down each of those little roadblocks that she went through and what she learned to kind of create processes around them. The other thing that stuck out to me in this interview was how Amber decided to create a specific niche for her agency after working on it as a freelancer for several years. Niching down is something that we all like to talk about. It's like, oh, that's really good. You should niche down. But it's something that's really hard because we always feel like we're going to miss out. It's FOMO. We're going to miss out on all these other great opportunities because we niche down, even though most of the time it actually creates a lot more freedom and it ends up doing a lot of really good things. It's a really challenging process to figure out what vertical you're going to stick in. And we talk about how Amber and her husband, Chris, were able to identify their specific lane from an agency perspective of their ideal clients. There was a lot. And I think if you're anybody who is working in the service space as a freelancer, developer, designer, anybody who takes on service-based work and you have ever thought about kind of taking it to the next level versus taking on you know individual projects, but thinking of yourself more like an agency, I think you will really enjoy this conversation with Amber. Let's get into it. Amber, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I talk to a lot of people who do different types of freelancing work and things like that from the road. I think you've done a really awesome job of like crafting a really cool brand around the fact that you guys are a traveling agency. You run Road Warrior Creative. Whenever you meet or you're talking to like potential clients and stuff, like how do you describe what you guys do? Yeah, so we are a traveling digital marketing agency. We do full service digital marketing, which includes website design and development, social media marketing, search engine optimization, branding, that sort of thing. And we do it specifically within two niches. One is food brands and food consumer packaged goods, so the CPG industry. And the other is what we call social good. 
So there's a lot of nonprofits in there. There's also some universities and government organizations and some for-profit businesses that are operating under a B Corp model. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. It was fun, like, kind of talking a little bit before we jumped on. You guys, unlike a lot of the other guests I've had on the podcast, you travel a few months out of the year with your family. Your girls yep. uh, go to Montessori school outside of Georgetown in Texas, so you guys will, like, have a home base and you go travel. And that's kind of, like, something that we're looking at now that we have a little one is trying to figure out, like, how can we still go do a lot of things we're really passionate about and balance, like, family and life and stuff, so... I would love to start at the beginning kind of of your journey because you've had a really cool transition from freelancer to being able to hire your husband into the business. And now you have some employees and contractors who you work with in the company. So I guess like where did this whole entrepreneurial journey start for you with Road Warrior Creative? My entrepreneurial journey actually started back in 2010. My our oldest daughter will be 10 in, in two weeks. And so she was born in 2009, and I worked in higher ed then. I was recruiting graduate students. We lived in New York. And around that time, we started talking about what to do. She was, I didn't have very long maternity leave, so I went back to work when she was eight weeks old. And it was really hard for me to take her to daycare and Mm. put her in daycare. And my husband at the time had just finished culinary school, and he was working as a chef, and he started looking for other jobs and he found one on Nantucket running a restaurant and so we moved out to Nantucket and I quit my job in higher ed but I still had to make money because Nantucket is a very expensive place to live as you might imagine and so that's when I started doing a little bit of freelance marketing on the side I in the beginning you do all kinds of things right whatever you can do to earn money but I built websites mostly with WordPress and I would do some logo design for people, which is kind of laughable because now if you were to ask me to design a logo, I would be like, no, that's what a designer (laughs) is for. (laughs) But you're like saying yes to everything. Yes. In the very beginning, you say yes to everything. So that was in 2010. And I kind of did it part time. It wasn't especially serious, like a full time business. It was more of just ways for me to supplement income. And my husband was the primary breadwinner. And that took us we were on Nantucket for three years, and then he got a job to opening a very large steakhouse in northern Wyoming. So we moved there for about 11 months, and then we said, nope, we can't live here. And we moved down to Fort Collins, Colorado. And that was in January of 2014. And that's when I really got a little more serious about the business and said, okay, I had two daughters at the time and I was like, they're getting a little older. They're both going to preschool or my oldest was about to enter kindergarten. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be a little more intentional about this as a business, but still as a freelancer. We did that for two years. And then Chris and I were talking about what our goals were. And we'd always had this goal of wanting to travel and go more places and see more things But he was at a point where when you work for someone, you basically get two weeks of vacation. And and it was very limiting in what we could do with our family with him only getting two weeks of vacation. So we're like, well, the business that I have going seems to be going well. And I have clients. Maybe we could grow this to the point where he could join. So that's when Road Warrior Creative was sort of born. I actually had, I freelanced under a different name and I didn't even have a a true business structure. I was a sole proprietorship. 
And at that point, we're like, okay, let's make this legit. Let's become an LLC. And we started talking about our goals, and we decided we were going to rebrand as Road Warrior Creative because we wanted to be traveling, and we wanted to have adventures and kind of do digital things on the road. And we thought, you know, it might make an, an interesting story too, which I think a lot of our clients or people who come to us are inspired by it. So that's sort of when it started in 2016 was when we officially rebranded in January. And then later that year, in August of that year, he was able to quit his job and join me full time in the business. And we currently have three W-2 employees and we have two regular contractors that we work with. And we're about to post another job for a W-2, another W-2 employee. So that's sort of where we are right now. That's awesome. Do you think that there's any, like going back to what you said, I was just thinking about like having, having your first couple of girls and kind of like, it's weird as an interviewer, you kind of like always are looking through the lens of like your own experiences and things like that. And right now we're kind of navigating the very early stages with our first daughter and navigating like what does work and life look like? Is there anything as motivating as I have to go back to a job, I need to figure out how to create freedom than like leaving an eight week old daughter at home or at a daycare. You're like, I need to figure something out to like spend more time. It was, at least was it like that for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is hard. My job too that I had initially, I had to travel a fair bit because I would go to undergraduate colleges to recruit graduate students. And we had multiple campuses that I oversaw and one was in California and I would fly out to California. And in the beginning I would take her with me and she had a babysitter in California and a babysitter in New York. And, but it's like, okay, fine. You can do that with a really little baby. But by the time they start crawling or a toddler, like you can't be taking them on a plane. And then also this like the germs, right? Yeah. I'm not a giant germaphobe, but other people were horrified. Like she was 11 weeks old when I took her on her first, like she hadn't even had all of her vaccines. Right. And I was like taking her on planes. So it's like, you know, then, then you start thinking like, this isn't a good long-term solution. Hmm. And for my husband too, being in the restaurant industry, especially that year in Wyoming, when he was the executive chef opening a restaurant, he would leave at like seven or eight in the morning and he would get home at like 1 a.m. <laughs> the next day, right? He almost never saw them. He missed our second daughter's almost her entire first year of life and I mean he tells people that all the time when it was really motivating for him and he was talking to the owner at one point and the owner's like well you just gotta work hard now so you can spend time with them later and he's thinking no why would like I'm missing out why would I want to just work hard you know work 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 all the time and so for us I think it was really motivating to have that and try and figure out you know how can we spend more time with them and what do we want our life to look like now, we've also had discussions on the other hand, because we don't, as you mentioned, our kids go to school, we don't homeschool. And homeschooling would be a great way for us to spend lots and lots of time with them. But with the reality of our business, and the kind of projects that we're taking on and the scale at which we work, it just isn't feasible. Because even sometimes during the summer, we have challenges with accomplishing the amount of work. You know, So I think there's always like pros and cons and things you have to weigh. Yeah. So whenever you guys were having these conversations, one, as a side note, I just assume that like the first 10, 15 years of any like chef's career is just insane hours, or at least it seems that way from like watching cooking shows. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yes. And also if you were to ever do the math on what they pay them, because <laughs> once you get to, you know, executive, you're salaried, 
but it's like it's actually probably worse like from an hourly basis he'd be like his line cooks were probably making more money than he was <laughs> yeah it's so, kind of crazy yeah. in some ways i think starting most businesses is kind of like that too if you average the amount of time that you not only spend working on it but like thinking about it and all of that it's 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 could be a little bit sad well i mean we still have that and i still every employee that we've hired so far has been to take something off of my plate whether it was chris starting the business or other employees that we've hired and I still have moments where I say, I'm like, this is overwhelming. And I, I really miss just like hanging out with my kid and taking her to the beach on Nantucket. <laughs> but on the other hand, like if we weren't doing this, Chris would have to be working. And so he'd be missing out on time with the girls, right? And so there's a little bit of a trade-off there, which is I have to work more than I did when I was a freelancer, but they get to spend more time with their dad, which is incredible. Yeah, I love that. Whenever you were first getting started, it's been, I guess, nine years that you've kind of been doing this. What have some been some of the things that you did to help you build up those initial skill sets around like either pitching clients or like whether it's design or WordPress? Like, I guess, what was your approach during that time as far as like you knew that you wanted to make income outside of a job? But what were mm -hmm. some of the things that you did that helped you build those skills, if that makes sense? When I first started as a freelancer, it partially came from I was just blogging myself on WordPress and I've always been kind of into, oh, I want to make it look cooler. So I just started playing around with initially just CSS or HTML and then I started looking into PHP and I used to build a lot of websites within the Genesis framework. If anyone yep. is a WordPress developer, they might be familiar with that. I had the theme Genesis framework. theme for a long time. Yeah, and that has a really big community around it, and there's a lot of websites that you can either pay for or they just put out free like code snippets or tutorials. It's like, here's how you do this in PHP. And so I would do a lot of playing around. And I, I have always been like not afraid to say to someone, you know, if, if they say, hey, I, I want a calendar on my website, and I'd never put a calendar on someone's website, right? I'd just be like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> And then I would spend time like figuring it out because I, I'm just, I just naturally kind of have that troubleshooting nature, I guess. But that only takes you so far. I think what really helped was when we moved to Fort Collins, that was the first time I lived anywhere where there was a WordPress meetup. And I started going to WordPress meetups, which if anyone's not familiar, they're like free. You can find them on meetup.com. They're free events where you can connect with other people that are doing what you're doing. And, and these are great even if you aren't a WordPress professional, you might go find a meetup for whatever freelancing thing that you're trying to do. And they would have tutorials or lessons and times to ask questions or get free help. And we actually, I run WordPress meetup now because I found it so beneficial for myself that I'm like, okay, I wanna give back. And so I run a WordPress meetup here in Georgetown. But that really, going to the one in Fort Collins was when I started to learn about real like development best practices and, and those sorts of things that we now implement as a larger agency. There were a few like online courses that I've taken. I attend some conferences and then there's other conferences where I'm like, I don't necessarily have time to go on my own. Like Social Media Marketing World is one that you can buy a virtual ticket for and then you can get access to every single recording. So I find that to be really helpful when you're trying to up your skills. 
But I also think one of the things that I learned along the way is that it's not always ideal to do everything yourself. And if you can hire people, or even if you're just starting with a contractor, like the very first thing that I got rid of was design because I was not a great <laughs> designer, right? I have like I have the ability to see like how it should be, but spending time like in Illustrator or really like coming up with really creative things when it comes to logos or package design is not necessarily my forte. I wish I was good at design. I I think about that all the time. I think about like taking design classes and like understanding colors and pattern. I like I just haven't done it, but I like I appreciate good design so much. I just I'm terrible. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is is like it's good to know where your limitations are. And then if you are looking to grow a larger business, those are the first areas where you should be outsourcing. And then you'll be able to deliver better results to your clients and your portfolio will look better. And then ultimately you'll get better clients, if that makes sense. So it was a little bit of learning how I, as I went and then doing some like online courses or attending conferences and then sometimes just realizing I needed to bring in someone else who was a bit more of an expert than I was. Totally. I think one of the things I've when talking with like friends who are freelancing that they struggle with is like getting to a point where you can charge enough for projects that you can actually afford to bring somebody else in. Like do you remember going through that whole process when you were like trying to because it's like an interesting little balance that I think everyone makes when they go from like freelancing to saying like, I'm going to treat this more like an agency style business if it's service based, you know, like mm-hmm. what did you feel like going through that process? Getting projects that pay more is definitely a challenge. I think some of it is asking yourself how you're, I wish I had a really easy answer for this. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of it is how are you finding clients or how are your clients finding you? Because we, I definitely remember there were points where I was, I was getting a lot of referrals, but, but they were referrals from old clients when I used to charge a quarter of what I charge now. And, and so they would come with this expectation that it was going to be very cheap, right? Or inexpensive or, or just less expensive than, than what it ended up being. And so we had to spend time actually sitting there thinking about how we were going to attract more high volume clients or clients that have higher budgets and can afford to pay more for the kind of services so that we could afford to have a team. So I think that was one thing is really thinking about like, how are you attracting people? We have gone through two iterations of a website since rebranding to Road Warrior Creative. And... And for sure, there's a big thing to there and how if you present yourself as a freelancer, I think the default assumption is, is that you aren't going to charge as much as an agency. And so you have to start to make all, make sure all of your sentences are we and us. And like if you go to our about page, it talks a little bit about me and Chris but it's a lot more like our company values. And we present ourselves as a company and not just like a husband and wife team. Hmm. And I think, you know, and having like, we have team bios on our about page and those sorts of things. And and I think to some degree, as you start to project out to the world that you are a, 
a bigger team, even if you're still only working with contractors. I know a developer here locally who he doesn't have any W2 employees. He has like two regular designers that he works with and he only works with these designers on projects. And then they also have like a content writer and they're all like freelancers that kind of work together. But on his website, it, it reads very much like this is a consulting firm, right? And it's, it's not lying. Like he doesn't ever say that he has employees or anything like that, but it reads more like this is a team. And when you come to us, you get this team. It's not you're coming to me, this one person. And I think that helps a little bit. And then there's some of just as you build bigger websites or work with larger clients, then it's easier to get larger clients. You know, like we do some work for Colorado State University and being able to say, yeah, we've done work for Colorado State University. It makes other big companies or government agencies interested in working with us because they know that we understand what the process is. When you're working in that sort of larger enterprise environment, and that was just luck. Like I knew someone who was there and she referred me to someone else that needed that needed a website in the department, you know, and, and then we just got that project because it was the right fit at the right time, but then being able to have that. So some of it, you know, I don't know, some of it is like good networking yeah, and some of, and some of it is just projecting out to the world that we can do this. We know how to do this. I, I will say like our, there's a big shift too in like portfolios and how we pre presented portfolios in the very beginning. I would just have a couple screenshots of a website in my portfolio on my website and be like, I built this website, here's the company name, and maybe there's three sentences about what I did, and then it might link over to the website. But now if you go to our website and you look, we have case studies that are thousands of words long that describe what was the problem, what was our approach, what was the solution, and then what were the results from what we delivered. And I think that was a big help as well with getting larger projects yeah i found that when we were doing a lot more client facing projects that if you tell somebody about the services that you offer everyone's like okay cool you offer like video or web design but then if you mm -hmm. tell them that the problem that you help solve for somebody else are like way more likely to say i have that problem can you help solve it for me in a similar way yeah, yeah. and i think too so I mentioned at the beginning that we work in two specific niches and I think that niching down has also helped us as well. I do a fair bit of speaking and we, most of my speaking is generally in like the nonprofit or sort of the social good sector at conferences and that sort of thing, which brings us clients in that area. But we also run a meetup group down in Austin for CPG companies. And so that's a way to get in front of them as well. And I think because we have these two specific areas that we're targeting, it's easier for us to market as opposed to we're just like the general will do anything for anyone. Totally. Yeah. As a, as a total side tangent, have you ever heard of Austin Social Good Summit? I have not heard of that one. I'll have to check okay, that. Yeah. My friend Ruben Cantu runs it. I helped out a little bit of stuff when I used to live in Austin and he's an amazing guy that you should connect with and in Austin since you're in Georgetown. Anyway, 
I love that. I was I was just talking to one of my friends today, James, and he has a videography company in Austin, and he does amazing work. He's been doing it for many years. He's done some really great documentary work, really high-end production work for some companies in Austin. And we were just kind of talking through his approach because he's he's kind of going through a little bit of rebranding right now and trying to figure out, like, yeah. how do you niche down into something? Because he's kind of a really great videographer, really great DP, but figuring out how do you craft a niche is, is sometimes really challenging. Like, what did you do when you were going from, like, freelancing to running more of an agency-style business to, like, find what niche? Because I'm sure you're interested in other things outside of, like, social good and food, but how did you, like, niche down into those? Like, did you already have clients there, or? So we, we did already have clients in there. The food niche largely came because of Chris's background in food, and when he left restaurants, he still had an interest in doing things that was food related. He is our COO. So he does a lot of our operational things and HR and all of our bookkeeping and invoicing and like tax things and keeping us compliant. And since our team is remote, we're actually a registered business in five states. <laughs> so he has to, you know, do all that kind of stuff, but it's not his passion as much as the food was, which was why he originally went to culinary school. And so we were talking about what makes sense there and how he could keep that interest alive within our business. And for us, we did a little bit of calculations as far as, you know, do we target restaurants? Do we target, you know, what do we do at one point in time? Someone told us, Hey, maybe we should target food trucks since we are going to be traveling. And, but realistically we're like, okay, knowing we want, bigger clients that are on marketing retainers, restaurants and food trucks are not going to have those kinds of budgets. And that's where we ended up with CPG. And that allows Chris, he does a lot of recipe development for these companies to post recipes on their websites. And he does food photography for their Instagrams. So that sort of came out of a passion and an interest. And we did have a client, just one in the very beginning, in the food niche. And we still said, we specialize in this, right? Mm. Because we just decided we're going to say that we do it. And we said, we said we did it. We only had one client, but more came to us. The social good thing mostly came out of my background within working in higher ed. And I actually, when we were in Colorado, I helped to found and run a nonprofit there that supported female entrepreneurs. And so I have a lot of experience on what it takes to get a 501c3 status and to keep that going. And so it just sort of made sense. And, and then it also sort of falls under the whole, we, we want to know that we're making a difference in the world with our work. And so even with food, we, we talk about this all the time. We like working with food brands that are interested in sustainability or are interested in, you know, using as much local as they can or, you know, improving the, the way the industry works within their, their portion of what they're producing. It's for us, it's, it's nice to know that we might not be always like giving back to the world, like saving lots of animals or whatever, but we just finished building a new website for this animal shelter in Houston that has like hundreds of dogs and cats that they're saving and they're a no kill shelter. So we're like, we feel like we're helping them save all the animals, yeah. right? 
Um, and so I think that's kind of where the social good comes in is just our interest in knowing that our work is doing something to better the world. I feel like we've, we've always kind of had some clients that fell into that even before we really spoke about it as a niche. So, so I guess the short answer I could have said was, yes, we already kind of had some <laughs> clients there, but, but there was like this longer, like reasoning behind why we chose each of those two areas, which don't seem connected necessarily, right? Well, I think it's when when a prospective client comes around, like they talk to you and they may ask like, why do you work with clients like that? And you're like, well, my husband has a culinary degree and I helped found a nonprofit that supported female entrepreneurs. And you know, there's a social good element with that. And that's just the companies we kind of wanna work with. They're like, oh, that makes sense. And I think there's, there's always fears associated with niching down and the fears mm -hmm. are, I'm going to make my I'm going to make my lane too narrow, but sometimes making decisions like that are really freeing because now you guys are like, "Hey, we only need to really focus on being involved and like building lots of relationships in these two verticals as it pertains to like getting clients." I'm sure you want to do all, lots of other stuff, but it's like now you're free to like focus on paying attention to these two industries and you can go really deep in them and i think that's you know it's going to help future clients and things like that i would assume i don't know if you guys do like events in like the food industry or things like that but i'm sure it would give you more freedom to do that kind of thing for sure and i mean it definitely helps you not to feel like you're spreading yourself too thin and i will say like we're we're niche and almost all of our content on our website is targeted at these two areas and it says there but every once in a while we still get the local law firm or like a plumber or whatever, right? Because they'll contact us and we don't turn them away necessarily if it seems like a good fit. We will occasionally, we have turned away some businesses that ethically we're like, okay, we don't want to help you market whatever your product is. But for the most part, you know, that's the one thing I always tell people when they're afraid to niche down is that even if you rewrite your entire website to only speak to one or two specific industries or three specific industries, it's not going to stop some person down the road from you who met you at a networking event from being like, hey, I liked you and you seemed like a down to earth person and you're close to me and I saw your portfolio and it looks good. I want to hire you. That's so true. I mean, this podcast, there's people who listen to it in all, all different countries and people who are like, I don't have any interest in ever living in an RV. And for the sake of this episode, like I hadn't even brought up the fact that you're traveling around the country several months out of the year with your family in an RV. Maybe I mentioned that. <laughs> like what it does do though, is it serves that audience even better because you have a person in mind when you're creating content or websites or things like that. Going back to that transition to freelance, to treating yourself like an agency like was there anything else you did during that time so you changed up the branding on your website you set some intentional goals but what were some of the other things maybe that you did to intentionally help yourself help you guys transition from like freelancing to agency model yeah so one of the biggest things that we did was actually starting to pay for SaaS's, so software as services I did when it was just me and there's and if it, if you're a freelancer and there's just you, it's okay to run everything out of your email box, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're the only person who ever needs to know what's going on or respond to things and stuff like that. And and so we kind of realized, hey, we need to get serious about actually paying for some business tools, which in the beginning it seems like I can't afford to pay for <laughs> project management software or G Suite for email or any of those things, right? 
but that that was a big step, especially once we hired our first W two employee, who was a developer, was realizing okay we need to pay for something like Basecamp and we still use Basecamp to this day and to manage all of our projects and I'm just and I spend myself thinking right now how did I even finish work without Basecamp you know but I think that was the thing you know we started actually using real accounting software as opposed to just like an invoicing tool which is what I was using before like in the very beginning I think I was sending people invoices via PayPal right hmm. and not really doing full accounting or bookkeeping so a lot of those kind of processes that you think of as a business they really do help you be more efficient and therefore you'll be able to accomplish more in the time when you're working so that you don't necessarily have to work all these extra hours to get bigger projects done. So that that was a big thing. I mean, we we sat down and we talked about our vision and we have six different statements that are specific to our company values and what do they mean for us? What do they mean for our employees? What do they mean for our customers? We wrote out a full employee handbook. A lot of the kind of back-end operational things, when you're transitioning from a freelancer to a team, it becomes necessary. And there are moments when it feels like, I don't have time to do this, but it, but it is really good to make the time to do that because <laughs> it help you in your transition. You know, and it will make it easier to hire employees and actually know that you're doing it right, and you don't have to worry about HR concerns or whatever, right? If you actually have an employee handbook, <laughs> these sorts of things. We hired consultants when necessary, so we have some really great HR consultants that we can reach out to whenever we need to. Like we wrote our employee handbook after looking at a bunch of open source employee handbooks, and ours is actually open source as well. We decided to do that; it's on our GitHub. So anyone can go find it, but then we actually had people that are HR professionals with SHRM certifications review it and say yes, this abides by the laws of the states that you're <laughs> working in and those sorts of things. Our contracts, I used to kind of use a template that I found online, and around the time that we got serious about the business, we said, you know what, it is worth it to pay an attorney to give us a real contract. <laughs> And, and then every once in a while, we'll have an attorney, like when we moved from Colorado to Texas and we changed our business headquarters to Texas, we paid an attorney in Texas to review our contract and make any necessary changes to make sure that we were following Texas laws now that we are based out of Texas. So that kind of thing, it's, you always just have to think of it as an investment in your business. But I think those are things that are easy to say, well, I'm not gonna do that or I don't wanna spend the money but it is 100% worth it, especially when you actually have to enforce a contract. <laughs> totally. That makes sense. I think those are all really important, like transitioning things. Like for me, it was like when we we've hired a couple different support people in campground booking and it was like, I didn't document all the processes as good as I should have the first time. So it's like when the next person came on, I was like, I'm going to do a better job of like creating like Google docs processes for like new contractor onboarding and things like that. So it's just like, 
a lot of so times. So you don't it, have to explain it five times. Exactly. You can just yeah. like explain it once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so sometimes it like has to get to the point of annoying me before I'm like, I just need to like create a Google Doc and just document what I'm doing and it's gonna be helpful. And just creating that practice has actually been really good for customers too, because I can create like a learning base and that's more like software focused. But whenever mm-hmm. you're also working with higher level clients, like more of an agency style, I'm assuming there's also different expectations than if I were to hire you to do a website like for two grand versus I'm doing a big relaunch rebranding of our company website. And um, mm-hmm. maybe we also have like a customer login and there's some different dynamics, a lot of web pages, a lot of old content that needs to be pulled over. Just a bigger project in general. Like I'm assuming that you probably also had a shift the way you're communicating with customers and things like that as far as like expectations during the project. Yeah, definitely. So in the very beginning, I used to almost never do phone calls with clients when I was a freelancer, especially when it, during the years when we were on Nantucket, because I used to mostly work during nap time and <laughs> after bedtime because I wasn't, you know, like I said earlier, I was just mostly kind of supplementing and I would, I was very rarely available for like immediate support. Like people would text me or email me or call me or whatever random method. I mean, people used to Facebook message me and I used to be like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> right. I would help you. And, but sometimes I'd be like, well, I'm at the beach, sorry, (laughs) or I can get to it in a couple hours. But so we definitely, one thing was we had to establish set hours. So we work normal business hours for the most part. Our remote employees are only required to have 70% of their time be during business hours. And then they can do the other 30% whenever they want. But we do require some during those hours. And then we try to do that ourselves as well so that was a big thing was setting some guidelines for ourselves and during the summer when we travel there's this whole routine that we have now into travel which is we will drive on a saturday or a sunday and some of this is sanity with kids not wanting to be two days on the (laughs) two days in a row on the road if we can avoid it and then if we want to go somewhere else then the only weekday we will drive will be a Wednesday. And knowing that in advance allows us to plan so that we just don't schedule meetings on Wednesdays, but we are available other days and times. It does help that Chris and I can kind of bounce off each other. And I tend to do a lot more client facing work. So he takes on a brunt of family trailer responsibilities he is almost always the driver, like 98.9% of the time he drives. And for the most part, I will have my laptop open if, if it's a Wednesday and it's a work day, and I will try to be available as much as data allows while we are driving. But I think having those specific routines with driving and how far we'll go and where we'll go, it does limit us. It means we can't go as many places in a summer but it allows the business to stay more functional. I do regular checking calls with clients on larger projects now. So those are like a 30 minute status call once a week and I make them always be the same day and time of the week. And that's something I never used to do on projects. And then we as a team, we always have a team meeting every Monday morning and it's at the same time. And then it could be anywhere from an hour to two hours, depending upon how much stuff we need to talk through. But I mean, that's that's a big shift from when I was working as a freelancer and on smaller projects. 
it was like, okay, email communication is fine or asynchronous. <laughs> we do a lot of support now too, where we are like someone's in-house web developer and and we're like making daily changes to content or creating forms on their website on a daily basis for some of our clients. And so some of that too was making sure if I'm not available, then one, one or two of our developers are, right? We have to have someone on during regular business hours. And, and that's the one thing I will say that is hard if you want to be traveling full time and you don't like those regular business hours, that could limit your ability to grow your business to take on the larger projects because higher needs clients with higher budgets want you to be available or mm. someone from your team to be available. Yeah, that that's a good point, especially like if you're in not in like a software or non like in customers' faces kind of business like with, with you. We've worked with a, a Corey Design, a small design agency. I met Brendan who's been a full time RVer now he's stationary and we've worked with him at campground booking for like i think over a year now and he does a lot of contract work for us and he's like incredibly responsive all the time and like we never really set any kind of crazy expectations because he's a contractor and we hired his agency to do work and they do really good stuff but whenever i message him it's like almost any time response within the hour and i really appreciate it because when i do want something it's like it's nice that he's there and I mean, it wouldn't be a mm-hmm. big deal if it was like a day, but it's, it is nice to be able to get answers to things when you want them, especially if you're, you know, you're paying like a decent rate for stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, and we also do, we have hosting and support packages. So we resell hosting. Typically it's for websites we've, we've built. There's a couple where people have come to us or we've hosted a website that we built and then they say, oh, can you also host these other websites that someone else built for us? And we'll do that. But that right there, it's great from a recurring revenue standpoint, but it comes with it the responsibility of being available to them if their website breaks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or if something, or like making sure that we know what's going on with the server all the time. Again, it's like a pro and con. You have to decide, is it worth, we've decided that it's worth the bigger, the bigger budget projects or the, the recurring revenue is worth having to have that set availability and how we handle that from a work-life balance standpoint is by hiring employees to make sure that when we can't be available, someone else on the team is. Yeah, totally. I love that. I think there's probably a a million other things that you and I could dig in and talk to, and this has been a lot of fun, but getting to the end of this time. So the one thing I want to ask, I ask on each episode as of lately is what's the biggest thing that you've learned in the past year? Oh man, I wish you told me that question in advance. <laughs> it's it's almost I like I like kind of just throwing it out there because then you have to really like what's the first thing that comes to mind? Like what's the biggest thing that, you know, it's been like I I feel like I've really taken that away in the past year. I think so we've just gotten back from our most recent 10-week trip and the biggest challenge that we actually had on this one was connectivity on the road, which for whatever reason where we went last year, it didn't seem to be as big of a problem. So right now I feel like the the biggest thing I've learned is, I was mentioning earlier that we're probably gonna bring on another team member. And so it's sort of like making sure that we have full coverage and availability. It's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned as we grow within our business. Yeah, making sure that you can have internet, that's pretty crucial. Yes, we decided, we actually said, because this year when I booked places, I didn't cross-reference the Verizon data coverage map. Mm. 
So next year when we're planning our route, I think we're going to be doing that. Totally, yeah. <laughs> Camp Indium has really good resources on like specific camping spots and like people sharing their Verizon and AT&T bars, which I've found okay, very useful. Yeah. Amber, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. If people are interested in connecting with you, where's the best place? You can get me either on Instagram at RoadWarriorWP or my personal, which is Ocor, which is A-U-C-O-E-U-R. Um, or you can email me through our website, which is roadwordcreative.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into that episode with Amber. If you want to check out the show notes, you can go to heathandalyza.com and click on podcast show notes. And as a quick side note, we do still have some tickets available for our 2020 RV Entrepreneur Summit. It's our fourth year to host this conference. And we basically just bring together a lot of people who are building interesting location-independent businesses. And we try to share helpful advice and provide community experiences that bring people together and help them go further along as they're working to build a business from the road. So we'll have about 400 people there this year. And if you're interested in learning more about the event, you can go to therventrepreneur.com to learn more. Thank you guys again so much for listening. I'll see you all next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.